Hello friends, welcome to worship. We are so glad that we get to continue to connect um, online, on TV, um, and in person. We're excited that our Rock Island campus is uh, open Sundays at 9 a.m. for in-person worship and 11 a.m. on Sundays at our Bettendorf campus. We're incrementally re-engaging our service times and so we're excited uh, to get to be able to be together in person, but we're also excited that we are still able to connect in this way. Kiwani guys, we are so grateful that we've been able to connect virtually, but we can't wait uh, to be in person with you again. And we hope that's gonna be real soon. Uh, but we want you to know that we see you, that we're praying for you, and that we um, are just continuing to be grateful that our hearts can continue to connect in this way. You know, one of the things that we've been leaning into as a church are practices where we can connect even in our spaces at home that we know that we're connecting in practices of our body, mind, spirit, and community that are, that are similar. And so each week in 2021, we've been inviting us to, to engage in a practice of body, mind, spirit, or community. And this week's practice centers on engaging our spirit. And so, you know, as I was reflecting on how can we frame this well this week, um, Psalm 23 came to mind, this reminder that the Lord is our shepherd and he is the one who restores our soul. He's the one who restores our spirit. And so I don't know about you, but in this season, I felt like I need that supernatural restoration that only comes from Holy Spirit as Holy Spirit works in my life and communes with my spirit. So, but I think the question is, how do we cultivate that? Psalm 4610 invites us to this posture, which I think is really a combination of, of all these practices coming together, our body, mind, and spirit. And this is the invitation to be still and know that he is God. And so the invitation for us today is, is to do that, maybe even now, but to do it each day, to find a space where we can be still, where we can still our bodies, where we can still our minds and our hearts and allow the knowledge that God is good, that God is for us, that He alone is sovereign God of the universe and He knows us and loves us and sees us. To allow that truth to wash over us and allow that to restore our soul. And so as we prepare to worship, Let's do that. Let's just allow our hearts, our minds, our bodies to be still and to know that He is God. God, you alone are God. You are the liberator. You are the one who sets us free. You are the one who heals us and we, and we are grateful. We pray this in Jesus' name, friends. Let's worship together our great liberator. There's a stirring in the world. 
Well, hey friends, as we get ready to lean into a time of prayer together, I wanna remind us that the season of Lent starts this Wednesday. Observing the Lenten season has been a long-standing rhythm practiced by all sorts of different traditions in the Christian church. This is a season that helps us prepare our hearts and minds to encounter the sacrifice of Jesus in new and fresh ways, to, to really to be stunned all over again at the amazing grace and love that Jesus has demonstrated to us. It's also a really good time for intentional reflection, reflection on who we are called to be as followers of Jesus, how each of us fit into this thing called the church, and, and to be reminded of the importance of inviting Holy Spirit to activate and empower us into our calling of taking the good news about Jesus to all the places and spaces that we enter. To that end, I wanna lead us in a prayer today that focuses in on inviting Holy Spirit to do a great work in us. And I wanna invite you into something that might feel a little different, a little bit unique, but at various points in our prayer time, I wanna invite you to pray a simple yet powerful statement together. Holy Spirit, fall fresh upon us. So if you're comfortable and able to do so, I'd love for you to join with me in praying that statement out loud together at specific moments in this prayer. So let's join our hearts and pray together. O oh, Spirit of God, pour out the fire of love upon us. May our words be your words. May our thoughts be your thoughts. May our actions be directed by and pleasing to you. And together we pray, Holy Spirit, fall fresh upon us. O oh, Spirit of God, fill us with your love. May your breeze bring health and wholeness. May your breath strengthen our resolve. May your presence give rest in our weariness. Together we pray, Holy Spirit, fall fresh upon us. O Spirit of God, pour out the fire of your love upon us. Set us free from self-doubt. Heal our broken hearts. Give us peace in the midst of our anxiety. Shake us awake if we are apathetic. Together we pray, Holy Spirit, fall fresh upon us. Sacred breath of God, unlock a new song within your people. Open our eyes so that we can see the image of God in everyone we encounter. Breathe into us your hopes and dreams for a world filled with righteousness, love, and peace. Send your church as agents of reconciliation into this world. And together we pray, Holy Spirit, fall fresh upon us.
Hey friends, welcome to week two of a three-week conversation that we're calling Ecclesia, then and now. Ecclesia is just the Greek word for church, and we have set aside this time to understand what it means to be the church, to be the people of God. Knowing what it was when it was established, understanding what it means now and what is still yet to come. Again, as a people, not just a building. And I realize that we all have different opinions and preferences about what the church is and should and shouldn't be doing. And quite honestly, we're just setting all of that aside to focus down in on what God says the church is. Why he says it was established, what it's for, and what is still yet to come and how it's to function to back then and even today. Because the reality is we are created by him and for him. We exist for him, not the other way around. And unless we're going to set aside Jesus and reject him as Savior and Lord, then we are positioned to be the church, to be a called out, sent out people. That word ecclesia that we translate as church simply means called out ones. It means that we are called out together. Yet often when we bump into the word church, we may think of a building we may, may think of a, a place to gather, a house of worship, a place to encounter God. And it certainly can be those things, but it's a mere fraction of what the church is actually called to be and to do. When I was a kid, I attended a, a rural church, uh, just a, a white building with a steeple with some red doors, kind of the archetypical old school church look. And whenever we would go there, it was four times of worship. It was for family celebrations like weddings and funerals and potlucks. And I have a lot of good memories. I found Jesus and and start a relationship with him in that space. I still remember in Sunday school, the teacher uh, teaching us the, something you may have learned, where it said, here's the church and here's the steeple, open the doors and see all the people. It was a pretty creative way to keep kids engaged and to understand perhaps a bit of what the church is, but even then, I could understand and see that the church was more than a place and more than a building, that it, it was about a people, a people of faith, a people on mission, a people called out and ultimately sent out. Now, last week when we started this conversation, we took some time to understand how the Bible, the, the narrative of God can be broken into two halves of a journey, the Old Testament and the New Testament, all of which point back to Jesus. We can learn what was, what is, and what is to come as we lean into studying the Bible and I encourage you, if you missed last week's conversation, to go to heritageqc.com and find it under the watch tab. You'll want to understand the bigger context of why God established the church and how it fits into the greater narrative. But today what I want to do is dig a bit deeper down into what was happening in the New Testament church, the, the early church when it was birthed, when it was formed, and formed with divine purpose and divine power. So we're going to get back into the scriptures today, and I just want to remind you that when we study the Word of God, it's not simply to know this, it's actually really to experience transformation. We're not just trying to know something, we want to be changed. There was an evangelist and pastor named Dwight Moody who, he said this, the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. See, when we study the Word of God, it's not just to know, it's to live. And it's not just to live, it's to be part of revealing the story and the love of God what he has done, what he is doing, and what he's getting ready to do. The Bible tells us that. But if we are to be the church, we're to proclaim and reveal that same information in how we live today as the ecclesia. In fact, as the ecclesia, we are called out by someone for something. And we need to know by who and for what. 
2,000 years ago, a man by the name of Jesus showed up and challenged the status quo. He started a countercultural movement that still impacts us today. In fact, I want to invite you to sit back for just a few moments and watch this short video that captures a number of truths and realities about the church, the ecclesia, and how it positions us even today as people called out by someone for something. Check this out. Churches are full of people. The broken, the lonely, the wanderers, the hopeful, the enthusiastic, the lost, the passionate, and the faithful. For many, this gathering represents the whole of their church experience. They'll listen attentively to a message, they'll sing a few songs, they'll be invited to pray, and then they'll return to their lives. But for some, questions will start bubbling to the surface of their faith. Is this the extent of what Jesus intended for his followers? Who is the church for? Why does the world need the church? And what is the church after all? Well, the church isn't the building where people attend weekly services. It's not a program, a list of rules, or a philosophy. The church isn't a political affiliation, a country club, or a holiday tradition. The church was never intended to be just an assembly of people wearing nice clothes and saying nice things. The church is all the followers of Jesus everywhere. The Greek word for church is the word ekklesia. It's the combination of two words, ek, which means out, and kaleo, meaning called. Thus, the church, the ecclesia, means the called out ones. In other words, the church, the collective body of all the followers of Jesus everywhere, is called out by someone for something, for a purpose. The beginning of the book of Acts has Jesus calling his disciples to a task, bringing something called the gospel, the good news, to all the world. And this gospel would go out to all the outsiders, the forgotten, the abandoned, and the excluded. And they, those outsiders, would see and receive that good news as actually good. When Jesus talked about the gospel, it was always in conjunction with something else, something called the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, God's purposes are made apparent. There's justice and righteousness. There's hope for the poor and for the oppressed. And under the kingdom of God, mercy and forgiveness take precedence over bitterness and resentment. Now, people previously deemed to be far from God are brought into his family, adopted as his sons and daughters. And the fullness of the kingdom of God, according to Jesus, is not merely expressed as a way for people to escape an evil world when they die. Rather, the good news of God's kingdom is about the announcement of God's eternity moving into the present world and carrying on into the life to come. The people who belong to Jesus join him in his worldwide restoration project. And the called out ones, the church, are committed to advancing this good news of God's kingdom into the world, not as a means of helping people avoid the world, but rather to see God's kingdom life being made real here and now. The whole church with the power of the whole gospel for the whole world. That's a really helpful way to break down what happened then and how it impacts us now. And if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn to the book of Acts or click down through your device to get to the book of Acts. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. And it picks up in the narrative of, of Jesus after he's resurrected. And this, it, it records the start, the birth of the church. And as you get to Acts chapter one, we're gonna look to see how this movement started and why it's relevant for us today in how we live as a called out, sent out people. Now, 
in this first part of the book of Acts, after Jesus was resurrected, he started showing up to some individuals and groups in what we call post-resurrection appearances. There were quite a few of them, and he did it over a 40-day period. And where we're starting today is one of those occasions where Jesus was hanging out with the 11 remaining disciples because Judas is no longer with them. And he gives them a new command. Here's what he says, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4. On one occasion, while Jesus was with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he says, look, there's a gift coming, but you wait for it. Wait. But they end up pushing a bit and say, hey, tell us about the outcomes. Tell us about some long-range realities. But Jesus pulls them back to process, and he says this in verse 8. Look, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now that last part, verse 8, may be familiar for you, and it gives a bit of uh, insight into Jesus' plan, but it also reveals the key role of the Holy Spirit in our journey. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be called out and sent out. Now we're going to get to Jesus' directive to wait in Jerusalem and then to go beyond here in a few moments, but I think it's important to understand how God reveals himself because he reveals himself in three ways, as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think most often we readily lean into understanding and laying hold of God the Father. That's probably and might be the easiest way to understand him. And when we start thinking about Jesus, the Son, God the Son, it may be a little harder to think of Jesus as God, but when we understand that he came, that he lived, he died, he rose again, he hung on a bloody cross, and he emptied a tomb, well, then we can start to appreciate Jesus as fully God, fully man, as the Son. When we start talking about Holy Spirit, well, that's a little harder, a little more vague. Maybe it even feels mystical sometimes. But the Holy Spirit is the way by which we can live fully into life and to love. In fact, it is by the Holy Spirit that we understand who God is. And, it, and it's because the Holy Spirit resides in us that we can understand, know, and live into the teachings of Jesus. The, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Yes, you heard me correctly. In fact, we just jump to Romans, Romans chapter 8 for just a moment, uh, verse 11. It says this, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Hold the phone, stop the presses. The same Spirit that raised Jesus lives in us. Yeah, if we follow Jesus. So the question for me then becomes, well, what is that for? Why is the Spirit in us and what does that mean? What's it for? You see, when Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, he used the word dunamis, which is just a Greek word for power, and it speaks to the kind of life we can have and really how we live as his church, as a called out and sent out people. It's by the Holy Spirit. But do you hear what what is actually said in that Romans 8:11 verse. Listen, we have access to life-giving power. The same power that raised a dead man to life is the power that we can have in our lives by the Holy Spirit. That's amazing and incredible, and nothing can overcome that power. In fact, it was the disciple John that said that he who is in us is greater than he who's in the world, speaking about the tension between God and Satan and the reality that we have power within us to overcome. 
So the reality is whatever sin you and I may struggle with, whatever habit we wrestle in, whatever temptation, whatever addiction, whatever relationship challenge, whatever professional challenges, difficulties, or hardship, man, we have the power of the resurrection available to us and nothing can overcome it. Except, listen, except our rebellion, rejection, or refusal to follow Jesus as Lord and to submit to his authority in our lives. See, again, unless we're willing to set aside Jesus and not believe he's, he was who he said he was and not follow him, then we are positioned to be the church, empowered with divine power for divine purpose, called out and sent out, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us power to be those called out, called out unto him, but sent out on behalf of him. We are called out for him, but we are sent out by him. And as we live in relationship with God through Jesus, we are transformed and we can begin to reflect him. And as we reflect him, we represent him and we communicate the truth, the love, the light, the hope, the freedom that is available in Jesus under his authority as a called out, sent out people. It's beautiful and it's wonderful. And it's been the reality since the church was birthed way back in the day. Because remember what Jesus said. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on, me, on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. That's beautiful. It's wonderful. But I wonder if we are fully living in what we have received or not. Jesus empowers us to be called out and to be sent out. Yet I'll tell you this, that early church had to be dragged into the latter part of that, the going out piece. Let, let's take a look at this, jump back into Acts chapter 2, and just starting at the very beginning part of the Acts 2 with, Acts 2 with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now this is going to be the fulfillment of what Jesus promised in Acts 1 verse 8, receive and to be witnesses. But there's a couple of things to notice in this. First is that the word Pentecost is a transliteration of the Greek word Pentecostos, which means 50. And it ties back to a connection, uh, to an expression of Pentecoste Hermara. And it means 50th day. So get this, the day of Pentecost was a Jewish feast 50 days after Passover. It was a time to celebrate the first fruits of harvest, but it was also by Jewish tradition the time when the people of Israel had received the law. But it's about to become the space to commemorate receiving something entirely new and something different. But I want you to think about who's there for a moment. When, when the scripture says all, many theologians believe that refers to the 120 followers of Jesus that Peter spoke to in Acts chapter 1 verse 15, which means it would be the 11 disciples, it would be Mary, Jesus' mom, Jesus' siblings, those who had followed Jesus since he was baptized by John the Baptist, those who were under consideration to replace Judas as a member of the, the 12, and, and many others. So there's 120 people in this space when, listen to what happens, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came up, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. This 
is a crazy cool moment, but it is the birthday of the church. It was incredibly important then, and it is just as important now. See, 50 days after Jesus was crucified, about 10 days after he went back to heaven, on the day of Pentecost, the ecclesia, the church, is established. So, so get this. In the Old Testament, the day of Pentecost was when Israel received the law. But in the New Testament, it is the day when the church received the Spirit. Man, I love Old Testament and New Testament pointing to Jesus. So interconnected. Very similar back to the concepts that we talked about last week in our conversation as we launched this Ecclesia journey. It is so stinking cool. But understand something. Get this. The people did not go. The, the, the people that Jesus told to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the very ends of the earth, they stay in Jerusalem. In fact, they do so until we get to Acts chapter 8, where, where, where the Lord actually forces them out with persecution. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we, we learn that a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered into Judea and Samaria, out, out into the surrounding regions. They were, they were scattered throughout the region. Not discarded, they were dispersed. Dispersed like seed being planted for, for more fruit and more harvest. See, it may have seemed like a setback to them when that persecution started bumping into whatever they were doing at the time. And it certainly had to be hard, probably painful, and I would bet some disappointment came along with it. But it did not create a problem, it resolved a problem. Remember, the ecclesia is called out to be sent out. So this was not a problem, but God allows the hardship to address a problem, to fix a problem. They were called out, but they stayed in. They stayed in Jerusalem. Even though Jesus said, look, Spirit's going to come and you're going to be my witnesses in, in all these incremental places, they end up staying in. It implied they had to go, but to this point they had stayed. They stayed in Jerusalem. So this persecution actually forces them, pushes them out, forces them to do what they were reluctant to do, which was to go, to, to make sure this wasn't all about them, but others who could know Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for us as a church. I want to be a people who are willing to do anything and everything God asks. That is our heartbeat as a church. It is way better to do things right the first time. I, I always want God to work through us and never have to work in spite of us. But back then, that early church community lost sight a bit of the purpose behind the divine power they were given. They, they kind of made it a little smaller than they should have. They, they made it about them and maybe their preferences a bit, but God reminded them and pushed them out into what he called them to. And again, I would rather not be pushed. That is, I'd rather not be forced. That is not ideal. There are enough times as a kid, I wish I would have done things right the first time rather than being forced to do them right later. Whether that was cleaning my room, doing my chores, or eating vegetables. There's something about cold vegetables an hour later that are just not very good. I would rather we do things right the first time. And we can struggle with that, but God is a God of grace and mercy, and he allows us to lean back in. And the people of the day, when Jesus says, look, you're going to be my people, and you're going to be my witnesses, I'm going to empower you, I'm going to send you. They knew that, but seven chapters later, they had only focused and invested in Jerusalem. And so he sent them with a push. He forced them out. Now, I really want to be clear about this. That they, I'm not saying that God created the evil of persecution because it was, it was pretty evil. It was, it was murderous. It was unholy stuff. It was, it was not righteous. 
But I am saying he did allow it. And he used it for his purpose. And he will do that in my life and your life so that we live fully into what he calls us to. He is willing to disrupt our comfort for his kingdom because we are to be a called out, sent out people. And whenever he gives us new life, when Jesus gives us new life and gives us the spirit, it is always for our good, but not our purpose. Chains of sin can be broken. We can find healing. Relationships can be restored. Ordinary things can become extraordinary. When we are the church, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live differently. But hear me, God doesn't provide his power for our purpose. He never gives his power for your purpose, but rather his. We can receive life in Jesus. We can receive the Holy Spirit. We can live in dunamis power. We can live in the same power, that resurrection power, and so much more. But it is not about our purpose or our power. It's about his. It's always about his. The point is not for us to gain power for us, but to lean in and use his power for his glory and the good of others. We can experience full life and freedom when we allow his power and his purpose to connect. Look, I think it's pretty tempting sometimes to think that the stuff of the Bible and the church way back in the day was only for a different time in a different place, but that is just simply not true. It's not even what Jesus taught. His purpose and his power are for now. And he even said, look, I'm going to leave so that the Holy Spirit can come. He said, I have to leave so the Holy Spirit can come. In John chapter 16, verse 7, he said, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going to go away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, also known as the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. God never gives his power for our purpose. It's always only his. So I think it begs the question, Whose power and whose purpose are you living in? Whose power and purpose are you living in today? See, if, if knowing God and following Jesus is only about what you get out of it, you're missing the point of what he did and who he calls you to be. It's not about what we can get. It's about who we can become. And we are to be and we can be the ecclesia the church, the called out, sent out people, a people who live victoriously in the name and the authority of Jesus, a risen Lord. Look, over the rest of this conversation, we're going to dig deeper into the specifics and some practical things about how we live that out. In fact, next week, we're going to dig deeper into that. It's important to know why the church exists, what he says it exists for, and how it's supposed to function. And we're going to round out, close out this ecclesia journey next week, looking specifically at that. But today, what I want to invite you to do, what I want to invite you to be intentional about and honest about, is to consider whose power and whose purpose you're living in. Is it, is it yours or is it his? I'll tell you, you can't mix them. We can't take his power and apply it to our purpose. That's not how it works. And if we take our power and our purpose, we're going to find it's always lacking. But when we take his power into his purpose, then we become part of something that is unstoppable. Solely rooted in Jesus, 
and we live fully into the people he's called us to be out of who he is, his power for his purpose. But if we make it about us, we have already moved out of step with him. Ultimately, what I'm inviting you to decide today is who's in charge in your life. Who, who gets to lead? Is it you or is it Jesus? We get to decide. But if you're willing to say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord. Jesus, I want you to lead. I want your power to be made present in my life by your spirit for your purpose. Then if you're willing to do that, then you can become part of something that you will never fully comprehend or contain as an empowered, called out, sent out people. In fact, you wanna, if you want to explore that more, I want to encourage you to text the word faith to the number on your screen. You do that, you'll get a linked response to a PDF that'll just allow you to explore this information a bit more and to understand your relationship with Jesus and where you sit with him and make the decision of who gets to lead in your life. But what I want to do now is just take a moment to pray and allow you to have some conversation with Jesus as we prepare to step back to worship and song, knowing that today is a day to choose whose power and whose purpose we're actually going to live in. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that through Jesus we can have resurrection power, that in him you demonstrated your love and, and therefore we know what love is and we in return can love you. And I pray in these next few moments that you would speak and lead and that we would each know with great clarity and choose to allow your power and your purpose to reign in our lives. May we be the ecclesia, the church, the called out, sent out people, equipping us to live in freedom and fullness of life for your glory. So speak to my brothers and sisters in these next few moments as we continue to lean into worship through song. I pray this in Jesus' name. feel the world is broken do you feel the shadows deepen but do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through do you wish that you could see it all made new creation groaning is a new creation coming is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst is it good that we remind ourselves of
As we declare God's goodness and His glory, as we're reminded that every blessing comes from Him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, know that our prayer for you in these days is that you would walk in the power and purpose of God as never before. In fact, there are opportunities for us to walk in His presence, His purpose, and His power in community together. And we want to invite you to a couple of those special opportunities coming even this week. One is happening on Wednesday night when we'll be live hosting our Ash Wednesday gathering at six o'clock. You can join us by going to heritageqc.com and clicking on the banner on the main page where you'll join with others as we connect in stepping into the season of Lent. Lent is a season when we intentionally pause some of our rhythms of life in order to pursue the things of God as we walk toward the cross and Easter Sunday, preparing ourselves for what it is He wants to do in, through, and around us. You aren't gonna wanna miss that opportunity. It's gonna come with some great resources for you and your family to take that journey together in some really tangible and practical ways. So again, join us Wednesday at six o'clock as we live host our Ash Wednesday opportunity. 
on Sunday night, you can join us for our HSM, which is Heritage Student Ministries in-person opportunities. This week, we're hosting a cheesy Valentine's party, which is actually a great way to step back into space together. You can find that information at heritageqc.com and on the Church Center app as well. We hope to see you if you're a student at 6.30 Sunday night for that opportunity. If you go to heritageqc.com and the Church Center app, you'll find all kinds of other great opportunities as well, like groups and ways of letting us know how we can be praying for you. You'll also find ways where you can join with us in radical generosity as we seek to offer peace and love and hope and truth to these cities and beyond. We can't wait to see you in one of these great opportunities coming up. No, we are praying for you, and we believe the best is yet to come for all of us. See you soon.